Good evening. As you may have seen in the bulletin, my name is Caleb Sprinkle. Um, some of you probably know me from serving up here on the worship team and from having the opportunity to teach among the youth. Um, I am a seminary student at RTS working toward my MDiv and under care of our presbytery here in the Metro Atlanta Presbytery. And I have the privilege this evening of being able to bring you the word of God. And um, having this be my first opportunity here at Carriage Lane, I'm a little nervous, so bear with me. But the, the good news in that, both for you and for me, is that we're not trusting in the sufficiency of my words, but in the sufficiency of God's word. So if you'll pray with me before we begin. Father, thank you for your word that we are able to gather here together and to hear it preached and hear it proclaimed. Lord, as we will see in this passage, your word calls us to repentance and reminds us of the beautiful realities and promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would convict us, that you would draw us to cherish those promises and blessings, that you would give us ears to hear, that we might be continually transformed by your word, made more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus, and that we would be made less and you would be made more. We pray all these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So our passage from this evening comes from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We're continuing on where we have been for the last couple months in our evening services in these beginning letters to the seven churches in Revelation. So if you'll turn with me there, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we'll begin by reading. So it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. At the end of the first century, where we find ourselves here in Revelation 3, it was not easy to teach, preach, or live the gospel. Christ, at this point, had been Rejected by many, the church was under persecution, and in some areas, the persecution was fierce. These seven churches each had their own unique problems, as we've seen from the first couple in chapter 2, and now we, as we look at chapter 3, we see that reality continue. And although these were real historic churches with real problems, in other words, what we're seeing here in chapter 3 and throughout the book of Revelation is not fiction, Even though it's historic, the messages that the Lord gives to these churches are timeless. The struggles, trials, sin that these churches are dealing with 
are oftentimes the same struggles, trials, and sins that the church deals with today. And as we've seen in the last few weeks, as we've been working through the first couple chapters in Revelations, the admonitions, encouragements, corrections, and in some areas, judgment given to these real historical churches 2,000 years ago are still very applicable to the modern church, to Christian life, to you and I, to Carriage Lane. And so as we continue in this evening service, working through these seven letters to the seven churches, which followed the vision of Christ that we saw in chapter one, we once again see this letter opening with a proclamation that Jesus, him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, is addressing his church through the work of the Holy Spirit in the writings of Revelation. And yet what we see here is a slight departure of the order that we've seen these writings come to the churches up until this point. What we see is different in the letter to Sardis compared to the previous letters that have been written to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, is that this letter does not open with a commendation. If we look back at the previous letters written to the churches, one of the first words said is a commendation for their faithfulness and their sound doctrine. But this one does not open with a commendation doesn't open with a commendation and move to a correction of calling out sin, but in fact here in the letter to Sardis, we see the inverse take place. This passage begins with a sharp judgment and assessment of this church spoken over the state of the church. The issue being dealt with here is not a fading love for Christ. It is not an issue of struggling with severe suffering. It is not personal compromise, it's not false teaching within the church, but rather the problem identified in the church in Sardis is spiritual deadness. There is no commendation that can be given contained within the glaring issue of the spiritual deadness in the church in Sardis. When there is spiritual deadness, there is no fruit, not even partial fruit. This is not backsliding, this is not a believer struggling to put sin to death as you and I do, but it is a complete and total absence of spiritual life. And so what we see here is a shocking judgment of spiritual deadness. And as shocking as it is for us to read, I imagine it would have been even more shocking for the church in Sardis to receive and then to read. Imagine if Carriage Lane were sent a letter from a trusted, godly, spirit-filled source saying, Carriage Lane, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. It would be devastating, shocking, and probably even frightening to some level. As the receiver, it might be easy to say, those words are maybe a little too sharp, maybe a little too harsh. But this tone and language that's used here in the beginning of chapter 3 is extremely important when addressing a church That's core issue is spiritual deadness. Not only is it important, but it is necessary. John knows that you cannot address spiritual deadness with a gentle word, a loving correction, a pat on the back. In looking at this passage, we have to understand the reality of spiritual deadness in the same way that that we understand the reality of bodily deadness. When someone's in the hospital dealing with a severe illness, or a major accident, 
and their heart flatlines, what is the best approach to resuscitate them? The best approach is to use a defibrillator to send 200 to 1,000 volts of electricity coursing through their body and their heart to bring them back to life. It's not a gentle correction. It's not a quiet nudge. It can be quite violent. And so if bodily death is not something that you can be gently coaxed out of, then certainly spiritual death is not either. So in the case of spiritual deadness, gentleness is not the answer. John here, in this third chapter of Revelation, is attempting to spiritually defibrillate the church in Sardis. And so as we dig deeper into the details of of what this spiritual deadness in the church in Sardis looks like, we'll be focusing in on this passage in two distinct sections. In the first, we'll look at verses 1 through 3. And this section focuses on the spiritual deadness in the church and contains three distinct calls to those who are spiritually dead. The first is a call to wake up. The second is a call to remember. And the third is a call to repent. Let me repeat that again. In this section on spiritual deadness in the church, there are three distinct calls. Firstly, a call to wake up. Secondly, a call to remember. And thirdly, a call to repent. So let's go back again here and read verses 1 through 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars... I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. These verses, these first three verses in the third chapter begin with identifying this problem of spiritual deadness among the church, saying you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This is not an issue of the church looking around and clearly and obviously seeing spiritual deadness among them. On the outside, they have a great reputation. They have what looks to be a thriving life-filled, gospel-centered church. And so this reality probably even further exacerbates the shock that they would have felt in receiving this condemnation. In looking around, the average church member in Sardis probably would have identified their church's life to be good to great based on what they see around them, based on the reputation that they have. But they've been told here very clearly that they are dead. It is very possible to have a reputation that does not line up with the reality of who we truly are. We all know and have met people, and some of us have probably even been there ourselves before, that can be very two-faced, where there's a facade that is being put up to project one thing, but under that facade, there's clearly something else going on that doesn't fit with what's being projected. And so it is possible And it is the case here in the church in Sardis to have a reputation for being spiritually alive when the reality of the state of your soul says something completely different. Let me just take an aside for a moment before we dig into these first three verses because I think the posture of 
our hearts as we work through this passage could cause us to come away with two very different conclusions and two very different types of responses. And as I was preparing, um, as I began spending time reading through and meditating on this passage, I found my own internal response was very informative for how I looked at this passage. Being, you know, coming into this passage as an outsider, obviously none of us were around or a part of the church in Sardis, removed from the situation by 2,000 years, we're members of Carriage Lane, not members of the church in Sardis. It is easy, and I found it easy, as I began reading this passage to think to myself, man, this church is in a really bad spot. They don't realize how dead they are, and I'm glad that's not where I'm at. But that kind of response is exactly the opposite of what is intended in the writing of this letter to the church in Sardis. This is not a call for the members of the church in Sardis to look around down, up and down the pews and to examine one another. This is a call for the members of the church in Sardis to turn inward, receive the word of God, and to examine themselves. These verses do not say, wake up your brother. They say, wake up. They do not say, remind your brother. They do not say, make your brother repent. They say, repent. And so this letter to the church in Sardis should not exasperate and further judgment among the body of Christ, but rather it should cause a deep level of self-reflection and self-examination. And so I think as we dig into this passage that is the faithful heart attitude to have as we look at God's word here in Revelation 3. And so as we proceed through this passage, we should be asking ourselves the same question that the church in Sardis hopefully was asking themselves, do I need to wake up? Do I need to remember? Do I need to repent? So we see this church as having a great reputation and yet inside they are spiritually dead and so they're given those three calls. Firstly, the call to wake up, to awake from their spiritual deadness. And so here in Sardis, there was apathy, drowsiness, sleepiness among the body. Jesus has given the diagnosis in that first verse and is now clearly giving the remedy. So why do they need to wake up? Well, we see here, wake up and strengthen what remains. So they need to wake up to be strengthened. Why do they need to be strengthened? As it goes on, Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So they need to be strengthened because they have grown so weak that they are about to die. The physical human body needs to eat and to be fed to maintain strength. That's something that we do every single day. To not waste away, to remain alive, to keep giving our bodies fuel. The spirit also needs to be fed in order to remain strong and to remain alive. How is one expected to eat if they are asleep? And so the natural question leading from this call to wake up is, how or in what way are we to strengthen what is about to die? So there's this call to wake up, but the answer to that question comes in the second point. There is a call to remember. To remember what you received and heard. This is the means by which we are strengthened. This is how we are strengthened, and this is how the church in Sardis is called to be strengthened. What is it that we have heard? The answer is very simple, 
Sunday school answer, we have heard the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wonderful reality that God sent his son, who was the fullness of God the Father and the radiance of his glory, to take on the fullness of our human form, took the punishment for our sins on his shoulders in death and raised us to new life and righteousness with him. That is what it is that we have heard. What is it that we have received? The body and blood of Christ. The sacrament that we joyfully look forward to participating in together later this evening. These are the things that strengthen us. Word and sacrament. Very simply, the means of grace. These are the things that in the busyness of life and the struggles and triumphs, excitement and discouragement give us strength to keep us strengthened and to keep us moving on and pushing forward. The means of grace, the gospel. These are the things that the church in Sardis was called to. These are the things that we have received and heard that we need to remember. Without them, we will all continue to waste away unto death. And without them, spiritual death, which is the state that the church in Sardis is in, spiritual death is the only and guaranteed possible outcome in reality. So the church in Sardis here is called to wake up and remember the gospel. We are called to wake up and remember what we have received and heard. And for some, this doesn't necessarily seem instinctual. I think many of us have a sort of spiritual amnesia when it comes to the gospel, and we don't always realize how much we need to be consistently reminded of the gospel. We don't always realize that we need to have the beauties and realities of the gospel proclaimed and preached to us week in and week out. The gospel is not something that gets us across the starting line and we get ourselves through our works and good theology to the finish line, but the gospel, the word and sacrament, is not just what gets us across that starting line, but it's what sustains us and brings us all the way to the finish line. I was blessed personally to grow up as a grew up in a Christian home, in a missionary home. I spent most of my years overseas um, and have spent most Sundays of my life in the 25 years I've been alive in church, sitting under good, faithful preaching. And in addition to that, I was homeschooled. And so my family, not only in church on Sundays and Wednesday nights, but spent a good bit of time in God's word as a part of our curriculum and a part of family worship. And so throughout my childhood and teenage years, I was immersed consistently and faithfully in God's word. And I've noticed a couple times in my life that it's easy to reach a point sitting down in church where I've thought to myself, I've heard this before. I know where he's heading. I know where he's going to slide the gospel in here. I know where he's going to end up. And so I've noticed in myself sometimes that I can check out. But brothers and sisters, how foolish it is when that is our response to being fed God's word. Imagine if someone were to sit down at a meal at the dinner table and see what's set before them and say, I've had this meal before. I know how it tastes. I'm good. And they excuse themselves. How much more ridiculous when we do that with what feeds and nourishes and strengthens our soul. 
I can say this because I'm not a pastor here at Carriage Lane, but brothers and sisters, our church has been and continues to be blessed by the Lord with faithful men who week in and week out labor over God's word so that you and I can be fed week in and week out, so that we can be strengthened when we gather together on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. They have a love and passion for God's word, and they have a love and affection and a shepherd's heart toward each of us. And they continue to do this work so that through the means of grace, we might remain awake and we might remain strengthened. We might remain fed. When these men are bringing us God's word, I urge you, as even through this week of preparation, I've had to urge myself not to come in on Sunday mornings and check out because we've heard that passage of scripture before. Even if you know that passage, and even if you know their preaching like the back of your hand because you've sat under it years and years, be fed. Remember what you have received and heard and continue to be reminded of it. So we've seen this call to wake up, this call to remember, and now the third call in this first section is the call to repent. And this one is quite simple and straightforward. It is the gospel call within these first three verses. It is the beautiful call to repentance coming from Jesus to the church in Sardis, and it is that same beautiful call to repentance that comes from Jesus to us. If we step back and look at these three calls together, this call to wake up, to remember, and to repent, what we see here is this entire section is actually a call to the gospel. It is a call to the good news of Jesus Christ, to wake up to the realities of our weakness, to remember who Christ is and what he has done, and to repent of our sins and our weaknesses, trusting in the all-sufficient work and word of Jesus Christ. This is, within the order of salvation, regeneration, faith, and repentance. And yet here at the end of this first section, we see a warning included. And it begins, if you will not wake up. This warning begins, if you will not wake up. And so it naturally follows, if one does not wake up, one will not remember. And if one does not remember, one will not repent. If there is not regeneration, there is not faith. And if there is not faith, there is not repentance. And ultimately, if there is not repentance, there is not justification and forgiveness of sins. And so this is a warning to take very seriously. This is not something to take lightheartedly. And as I said at the beginning, this is not something to look around at our brothers and sisters and make judgments on whose reputation precedes and exceeds their faith, but rather to look internally and to look at ourselves. So this warning we take seriously, the issue being dealt with here is not a small matter. It is the greatest matter we will ever deal with. It is the difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. And so the warning follows that if you remain asleep, if you remain spiritually dead, Jesus will come like a thief in the night at an hour which you will not know. And this, of course, calls our minds to Jesus' words in Matthew and to 1 Thessalonians 5.2, which says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. If we remain asleep, judgment day is coming. So, brothers, 
let us examine the state of our souls. Jesus is calling those who are his to wake up, to remember, and to repent. We'll go back now as we continue into the second section of verses 4 through 6. And I'll read those before we jump into it. So beginning in verse 4. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So following these first three verses, which is a very weighty and heavy affair as we turn towards self-examination, in these following three verses, what we have is a beautiful, wonderful promise of the blessings and guarantees of the gospel of Christ for those who believe, for those who are awake. There are some among the church in Sardis, as we see, who are not asleep. This is not most of them, but there are some who are not asleep. They are not spiritually dead. They are awake. They are alive. They continue to remember and depend on the word and sacrament. They have been clothed in white alongside Christ. They have been given and bestowed the righteousness of Christ, although they are not righteous themselves. And this promise here is that Jesus will never blot their names out of the book of life. And so this is a promise calling back to the order of salvation, the portion of it that we saw in the first three verses, and also to Romans 8. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It is a promise and a guarantee for those who wake up. A promise and a guarantee for those who remember a promise and a guarantee for those who repent. Their name can and will never be removed from the book of life. Christ has promised to finish the work he began. The spiritual life that has been breathed into those who are his. When they were joined to Christ will come to and have its full effect. What a great and wonderful confidence and promise to cling to. The final verse in this passage says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now this obviously does not literally mean if you have ears, physical ears, listen up. This means that he who is awake, he who remembers, he who repents, cling to, trust in, hold fast to the promises and blessings of the gospel of Christ. And so although this passage seems to open up with a dire condemnation and then suddenly pivot in between verse 3 and 4 to this wonderful proclamation and encouragement, these two sections actually go hand in hand. They are both proclamations of the necessity and the blessings of the gospel. A proclamation to those who have yet to become alive in Christ and a proclamation to those who already are alive in Christ. It can be hard to see, especially in the first three verses, but there is hope and beauty in both the first and last half of this passage. And so as we look at this, I think the call to us here, firstly, 
is to examine ourselves. We ought to be asking ourselves as we're faced with the realities of this passage, does my reputation say more about my spiritual state than is true of my soul? Am I awake to the realities of my own sinfulness and weaknesses? Am I faithful in remembering the realities of the gospel and participating in word and sacrament? Do I live a life of repentance, trusting in the complete work of Christ for my righteousness? If the answer to these questions is no, I implore you to cast yourself on the wonderful, beautiful mercies of the all-sufficient gospel of Christ, who came as a man, died on the cross in our place, rose from the grave, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Wake up. Remember repent but if the answer to those questions is yes there's a call here to be greatly encouraged know that nothing nothing at all can separate us from the love of Christ cling to the beauties of the gospel and continue to be fed and strengthened week in and week out as we are fed week in and week out by the word and sacrament Remain hopeful and worshipful that Christ's faithfulness toward those who are his cannot be undermined, cannot be changed, cannot be slighted. And praise God for his faithfulness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the wonderful, beautiful realities of your words we see here in Revelation 3. Lord, we thank you for parts of your word that call us to repentance, the parts of your word that call us to examine ourselves for our own sinfulness, for our own brokenness, for our own weakness. Lord, we also praise and worship you as we see the beauties and realities of your character and your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that as we have heard your word tonight, that you would take it and you would apply it to our hearts that it would cause us to grow more and more into the image and likeness of your son Jesus, that you might be glorified in our lives. We pray all these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.